Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Good on FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Joining me today is, um, I, I, you know, I guess I'll call him sci-fi author, David Berger. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so how do you describe yourself then? Are you, are, are you primarily, you think, a sci-fi or... Um, how would you describe that? Primarily fantasy with a little bit of sci-fi mixed in. So now, how did you start um, down this road of, of, of writing this, this style of book? Well, when I was in high school, I was an, I guess you'd call me an avid writer for a high school student, but I had written a short story my senior year that um, was kind of, loosely what become the novels that I've worked on now, but it was the starting point for me. And it took a while to get there, but over the years, on and off, and then eventually I was asked, you know, are you ever going to publish this? And I thought, oh, I guess that's something I could do too. (laughs) So yeah, so then I had to go into overdrive and sort of figure out how I wanted to do it and then push forward to get the books written, at least the first book, actually. The first book took me about... From start to finish, idea to publishing, about 25 years. So when you say um, fantasy, um, what is your inspiration for that? Well, I've always been interested in in swords and sorcery, Dungeons and Dragons, and comic books, and along those lines. Uh, So that's been, that was the early, um, I guess, muse for the writing in the fantasy realm. And I did like sci-fi. I mean, I was a Star Trek and Star Wars kid growing up, so some of that kind of filtered in originally. So, but yeah, mostly the uh, like Greek mythology was a huge thing um, from, from, I guess, middle school on the, all the way up, and then the comics. So I guess it's a mixture of a lot of things. Pretty, pr- pretty, um, pretty cool. Um, so now let's talk about what what is your latest project that you're working on? Well, I kind of have two, but the latest one I've been working on, I finished the fourth book of my Task Force Gaia series in, I guess, last last August. I had finished the first draft and kind of put it aside for a while um, so that I could, you know, focus on my regular job and then just let it sit. So that's the most recent of the big things. Um, I also finished another novel for another trilogy I'd started um, also 
a few months back, and that one's a slightly different storyline, but uh, also fantasy. But I wanted to make sure um, I was giving attention to both. Right now, with what's been going on in the world as it is, um, I haven't really had the energy and the drive to focus on a lot of things right now. But but yeah, I mean, that's so the Task Force Gaia book is called... Um, Oh my goodness! The finished the third one I had done, and I'm thinking the fourth. Oh, the Archer's Paradox. Sorry, my brain. The Archer's Paradox is the fourth book, and then the the other one is the Celtic mythology book I was working on at the same time, called The Quest of Wind Racer and Fire Hunter. Wow! Uh, now these um, this sounds fairly developed. Like when you say the the Archer's Paradox, uh, and that's the fourth book in the series. Um, how, so, how do you start a project like this? Like, I'm I'm trying to grasp all this because what I do is I've been writing true crime and um, you know nonfiction in that sense my my whole life. So I'm sort of in a in a different realm. So when I when I talk to people that write um, you know fantasy or sci-fi or fiction and stuff like that, I'm I'm really intrigued on how you how you come up with a story and how you create characters in that story and put it all together like that whole the whole writing um project is just crazy for me it just um like where where do you gain the the confidence to put together a story that you feel is going to work that's that, I'm, I know I'm asking a lot but I'm just trying to get I'm trying to get I'm trying to get from a person that is doing this um the process of, of of you sitting down and kind of going okay um and where does it start well when the first book was written um as i was writing it there was another story that was supposed to go into that book but I, as i was working on that one and that was that idea like i said came from that high school short story that was sort of greek myth meets star trek and I moved away from the Star Trek part later on and just kept it more modern-day Greek myth um, heroes. But the second book sort of evolved from the first, and it should have been the first book too, But and then I would have had a 600-page novel, and that probably would have been too much. So I decided to split that, and then that idea, sort of as in the midst of writing, kind of birthed the third novel as I was working on that. So the ideas just sort of came... And as the characters evolved in the second book and into the third, I was following what I thought would be some character development on, you know, growth within the story, but also keeping the characters moving along and not being um, stagnant. And then the fourth as well, I was trying to keep the characters moving along and moving the actual undercurrent from book one all the way. And a lot of the ideas in book four um, are actually follow-ups from the first book. So things are being revisited now so that there'd be a little more continuity. And by the fifth book, which will be the final one in the series, um, everything will kind of bring itself to closure. But I guess it's just I've fallen in love with these particular main characters. They're almost kind of like my own children in a way. And they've become part of my consciousness. And so when I'm not working on other things, their their voices kind of pop into my head. And that's what kind of keeps me going and, and motivated and confident is because I know they're always kind of lurking in the background, <laughs> wanting their story to be told. So you use a lot of um, um, Greek gods and, you know, Zeus and Hera and all that stuff. You use a lot of that in your story. So how do you, 
how do you draw on that? How does that mix with um, the character of, of, of your book? Well, I use the basics of the mythology to give me a foundation. So the characters are, like you said, Zeus and Hera and Apollo and others. But I try to make the, put my own spin on the characters and develop them a little bit differently from the traditional um, mythology. Um, in the books, in the series, Apollo, for example, is a main player since the, in the first book on. And in, in mythology, he has a certain arrogance about him, and he's very much a just like Zeus, sort of does whatever he wants. And in the novels, he, the first book, he sort of gets punished for being that way. And Zeus sentences him to live on Earth for a year as a human being. I mean, stripped of all of his power. So it takes him that to figure out and learn and become a character, which in mythology, that just wouldn't happen. So I take the, the basics of what you know people learn about in school, and I build on that to create... A, a slightly different version of the character that's familiar enough to people to know who he is, but it's also has my spin on that. And then I also introduce new characters that are not based in, they're not original from mythology. They actually are my own creation, but they come from, you know, let's say older gods have offspring that never really existed, but I sort of create that. And so there's a connection to the original, more familiar stuff, but then I give it a, a different new spin on it that's interesting so those characters you create um okay so how do you how do you create their personality how do you how do you develop that is it from people you know is it from people you've run across is it just someone that you've seen on on a show like where where does that come from well as far as personalities uh, i sort of come up with a visualization of what the character will probably look like first so that I can then kind of, is this person tall or short or, you know, blonde haired, redheaded, whatever, male or female, and then kind of get a sense of what is that person looking at that person? What kind of traits would I just envision? And sometimes it's just random and I try different things to see what works. The very first story I wrote back in high school, the characters that, evolved into who they are now in the in the novel series are very different um, i sort of decided I, I was an 18 year old you know writer back then not really knowing what i was doing so as i got older and more mature and had experienced enough of life to say well this is not how a person would actually be i wanted to to change direction uh, i don't think there's any specific people that i had in mind for personality as i mean vis uh, physical appearance yes i did i have people in mind, although they're not supposed to be exactly the same. That's the, the model that I would base them on. But yeah, it's hard to pick a person. Uh, I don't really put myself in any one character either. I mean, there are qualities of me that appear in multiple characters in the books, but I try not to make them autobiographical in any way because, I don't know, I just find that to me is not as interesting. Um, I, there are aspects of characters that do fit my personality type and, and maybe people that I do know, but as, as a writer, too, you evolve and you meet people. So if I start out with a character early on in the book and I think, well, at three months later, that character's personality doesn't fit anymore or I don't think that's the best fit. So it would be hard to base it off of an actual human being. Hmm. Now, I notice you have two um, LGBT horror short stories. Um, do you use the... Um gay aspect of life 
in your fantasy books as well? I do, but it's interesting because the main character of the Task Force Gaia series, um, Dan, um, he is gay. But in my world of writing, it's just that's just an accepted part of life. There is no homophobia. There's no overt racism or anything. It's sort of, in a, it's a fantasy story. So in my world, those kinds of things don't really exist for those characters because I don't want it to be about that. There are, it's not a realistic story. We're dealing with Greek gods and, and other things. So to include more human, realistic uh, problems, I feel, would take away from what I'm trying to do. So Dan is a gay character, for example. Um, he does have a boyfriend in the series, and the, you know, the boyfriend is actually a significant character in that series, too. Um, and I want that to be there because as a gay writer, I want people who are younger readers to be able to pick up a book and go, oh, I want to read this because I like fantasy, but there's also a gay character here that I might relate to or I might be interested in. And in the the Celtic mythology trilogy that I'm working on, the two main characters are two gay 16-year-olds. They're not interested in one another, but they're just really good friends. They're actually based on, loosely based on myself and a friend of mine. But the idea that that world is, oh, you know, you happen to like this particular person, not, oh, you like guys. So it's, I'm trying to make it so that those things are just more accepted in the world because it is fantasy. It's not supposed to be, quote, unquote, real world issues. I think that sometimes becomes part of the story, and I didn't want that to be. So um, then with, with those characters, do you get any sort of... Um feedback um, from the fantasy sci-fi world? Do you mean like negative feedback because of that? or Yeah, negative or positive or, or what, do you get any reaction from that? Does that cause any anything? Actually, not negative. I've had all positive or not, no one said anything negative to me and those people who've come back and said, oh, I enjoyed reading you know these books um, it was, and I'd say, why? And they say, oh, I like the character of so-and-so and, and how he interacts with you know these other people. And they, no one's ever pointed specifically and said that having a gay character was the first draw. Because in the first book, Dan's sexuality is not as overt. It's, we don't learn from day one. It just kind of happens. You learn that. So I didn't want to make it the focus of the book. And I think because of that, it's not for some people who might not be as comfortable with a uh, a, a strong, uh, obvious gay lead of a book for some, for some reason, it's not something that would be a turnoff. It just happens to be a character trait of that person. Um, just like I wish I could live in a world where people didn't look at me differently because of that. So, no, I've not had any negative feedback at all. I mean, it's, it's nice to know that people can appreciate a story, even if they might not deep down you know, like that in others. But I've never had anyone um, turn away from the stories or give me feedback to, to the negative. Do you ever do you ever have like a, a an idea of what you want people to get out of your book? Like, is there an underlying sort of um, idea to the book? It, it, so basically, when someone reads one of your books and they walk away, what do you want them to to, to take with them? Well, starting with the first book, and the title is Finding Balance. I mean, the idea of finding your own equilibrium and balance in life and, and weighing all the things, looking at new experiences. Like I said before, Apollo gets sentenced to be a mortal on Earth, and he has to learn how to be a human being. He's not used to living that way with those kinds of emotions or any emotions. 
you know, what hunger feels like, uh, grief, sorrow, any of those things. So I would like people to think that as someone goes on his or her own journey, that they find the balance in their own lives, perhaps, and from that story, and the way Apollo's character evolves throughout the rest of the series. And other characters, too, finding their own way through a particular character type. You know, there are, like I said, there are, there are four basically main characters. So finding a character that you might identify with and say, well, yeah, he or she is like me, and I'd like to see how that character sort of develops. Uh, there's also the undercurrent of... Um, global justice and looking at this particular group of four individuals um, who works for the United Nations as a task force geared toward other worldly events. So while other task forces might deal with natural phenomenon or other you know, political issues, this task force protects Gaia, protects Earth from you know the underworld and the, and the creatures and beings that would come out and torment. And they're the only ones that are capable of doing that. So there's a lot of that sense of protecting the earth and keeping her from harm and, you know, maybe not recycling in those overt issues, but just the idea of being a positive person and trying to do a better thing in the world. And so maybe just taking away some of those ideas. Hmm. You know, um, you mentioned earlier, and I asked this of, of a lot of writers. Um, so with, with the unusually weird times, like, you know, we have the, the COVID, the uh, protests, we have the, the nutball president, all this stuff going on. Um, how does that influence your writing, or does it? Well, the COVID and the protests, I mean, protests have been going on, I guess, on and off for quite a long time, but the issue that keeps resurfacing. But the COVID stuff wouldn't really, I don't think I'm going to include you know, a, a pandemic in my book, but... The politics I leave out of my of my stories in general because I try to make this world a separate place from the world that we live in. I don't want it to be based on the exact same thing. There are similarities to this world. There are things mentioned um, that have tie-in, but I don't I don't think I'd want to include um, a president like we have now. I wouldn't necessarily. <laughs> I just wouldn't feel that that would be. I think people want an escape from. The real world that is so oppressive in so many ways. I mean, with dealing with racial injustice and and the things we've seen for a while now, but only recently coming, you know, with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and everyone who's been affected with that. Um, I think those things have a place in literature and perhaps in the fantasy world. But I guess for me, I would like my fantasy to be the escape from that re- from that reality. So I try to avoid including specific things that would be referencing, uh, you know, a part of our real world culture. Hmm. So, uh, you know, Donald Trump's not going to be like Thor or something like that. <laughs> a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, but but uh, but do but living in this, you might not include it in your story. You mm-hmm. might not you might not write about characters or anything like that or go go the direction that the u.s is going let's say but uh, but when you're living day to day and you get up in the morning you turn on and there's on the news or you hear about this or that person not wearing a mask or you know all the all the stuff going on um does it put you in a different mood and does it make it so that when you're writing you might write a little darker well no, but it does keep me from being creative. Okay, yeah. Um, it gets in the way 
I find myself trying to be as much of a positive influence as possible, um, promoting positivity and hope, and and that's just my personality, and and trying to be a voice for the issues that are out there and, and talking about them. But when it comes to my work as a writer, um, I think sometimes focusing on that so much stifles that creativity, at least for me. I can't speak for other people. Um, some people may take that as, as a way of motivating themselves to write about it or write about other things. I find myself motivated by, by other, you know, my, my muses are other things that are related more to what I write than since the, the world is large. So I, like, I found myself having a difficult time writing, just sitting down and shutting my mind off from the real stuff to be able to focus on the, the fantasy stuff that I would really like to put out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I write about uh, killers, and um, it's sort of it, it has affected my writing. I, I find it difficult to write as free as I used to. So it's been it's been an unusual time for me. Um, so I relate to that. I just um, I like to hear it from other types of writers to see if it affects their creativity. You know, that's kind of um, what I mean by that question. Mm-hmm. So, so who are your influences then? Um, well, I mean, growing up, I think some of my muses were, and there's not so much people, but being a player of Dungeons and Dragons growing up was a huge thing for me. It's, that's, that, that and mythology are some of my more the broader muses that, that keep me motivated um, in that respect. There are not as many authors per se. I mean, there are some that I look toward as, as I guess, guides, like Neil Gaiman is one who I, I I think he's incredibly gifted. Um, Terry Goodkind's works, I, I've taken his fantasy works in, kind of in my brain as far as the scope of writing a grand fiction, epic epic fantasy. Um, but it's hard to do that with because over the years I've just read so many good pieces of writing to find particular people. And strangely enough, one of my biggest muses um, from the writing and the fantasy comes from the comic book world, specifically the character of Wonder Woman. Uh, I've been a fan of hers since I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And that's evolved tremendously over the years. And just the character that she is and what she stands for and what she's supposed to be in the world has, has been something that kind of keeps me driven. And some of that, some of the aspects of who she is in the, in the comic book world have sort of filtered in a little bit traits and qualities and things into my own work. So she's probably that background muse that is kind of always there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 no. And 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 um, you look good with the little armbands on, too. You just, you need you need to work on the hair, that's... <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's going to take a lot more than... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I have a, a little, little lacking on that part, but um, wow. So... What 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 do you think has has anybody done a really good um, how do you say movie or or show about something in fantasy like Wonder Woman? Do you, is there anything you recommend people to see? Well, I mean, the first Wonder Woman movie that came out, uh, I think, a couple of years ago, was one of my favorite movies. Um, it is for me as a as a fan of the character. Of course, you know, as most fans are, we always have these things that we would wish were different. But overall, I mean, I I I saw the movie. Well, overall, I've seen it about a hundred and fifty or some odd times, 
Um, and I saw it 50 times in the first month it was out. So obviously I have a tremendous character. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have friends who, who know my interest and when they first came out, they would say, are you, would you be interested in going to see it? Yes, I would be happy to just tell me where and when. And sometimes I saw it, I think twice in one day. What, 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 why do you do that? Is that just out of the love or is it feeling something for you? Is it, is it like, like that many times? That's, you have to admit that's a lot. Well, it is. And actually, I'm an amateur because I have a few friends who've done more than that uh, when it was in the theaters. But for me, and this is, again, going back to the love of the character, she's a character that's not given a lot of time on screen. I mean, she had one television show that lasted three years. She's had a lot of time in animated movies, um, but she's never really had big screen time. So unlike, say, Superman or Batman. So her first movie that comes out is a milestone event for not just for her, but for those of us who've been fans for 40 plus years to see this character we've adored to finally make it to the big screen and now coming out whenever the movies decide to come out, but coming out with a second movie and, you know, a third will be coming out, I'm I'm assuming. So that is incredibly motivating as, as a person uh, who, who uses her as a muse. If she just was a character I enjoyed, I think I would have still gone. But her presence in my life is kind of always there. Um, as a, I mean, my my home office is a, is basically a shrine to her. Everything around me is pictures and comics and figures, and so it's it, that's what motivates me. So seeing that character so many times um, was, and being able to find different things in the movie each time I saw it, and even now still watching it and seeing little things that I might have, you know, skipped, skipped over. I don't know. It's, it's quirky and I know it sounds kind of obsessive and well, I guess it is obsessive, but you know, I don't have any other obsessions in life. I, I've got to have one and this is my one vice that I really go into, I guess, wholeheartedly. Huh. Oh, that's interesting too. When you say that, um, she hasn't been treated equally as compared to, uh, Superman or Batman and things like that. Why do you think that is? Part of it, I think, has to do with her being a woman. I think putting a woman in the forefront of anything for some people is intimidating. And it also, there's this underlying misogyny. I think that's present a lot in the entertainment world. I mean, the fact that it's taken as long as it has for a movie with her in it as probably the most well-known female comic book character took that this long since 1941 is when the character emerged and it's now 2000 it was 2016 when the movie came out i think there's a sense that women can't do certain things they can't women main characters that are women can't hold the interest of an audience um the interest you know as soon as you mention something has a strong female lead they assume it's going to be you know all feminine and girly and and only appeal to girls well, I was in the movie theater, and there, sometimes there were more men in the theater than there were women. And granted, Gal Gadot is a beautiful woman, but I think the movie itself drew people in. I just think that women as a whole are viewed very differently. Um, the character a couple of years ago, it was around the time, I think, when the movie was coming out, the United, the United Nations was looking to make her, the character, um, an icon, um, an ambassador, actually, a fictional ambassador uh, for the world, for helping people and so on. And people were criticizing her outfit because it was not indicative of the way women should dress. So they were judging her on her 
clothing. They wouldn't judge Superman in his, you know, red and blue tights or Batman in his outfit. But a woman, because she's wearing a skirt or something like that and, you know, showing a lot of skin, gets the negativity. It gets the misogyny. It's, it's, she's doing too much to, you know, she's not a good role model for girls to see. I think on the contrary, she's very powerful and she's comfortable in her own skin. And for her to be able to do what she does, you know, I think that says a lot. But, yeah, I think we're still fighting that fight. And while the first movie may have done great, great things and got a lot of money and recognition, and the second one has a lot of people clamoring for it, I still think that's part of the, the entertainment industry that needs to be changed. Hmm. So where do you want to see the fantasy sci-fi world go? Like, where would you like to see it uh, move to in in the future? Well, I would like to see, obviously, more women, more um, people of color, um, the Latino community. I'd like to see more diversity in general, LGBT characters. I'd like to see that be the, become the norm. And it's been so long where, you know, you look at so many characters or, or team comics, and you see, well, they're mostly constructed of male people, and then you get a few women tied in there. Um, I'd like to see that become more of the norm and, and hopefully change people's minds that you can, you know, unfortunately going back to the issues with the, the race relations and things we have, you have people who, who are racist, who are misogynists, who will not want to see characters in print or in movies on television who go against their beliefs what they see, what they feel. So, it was a huge thing when Black Panther came out. I loved seeing that movie. That that was more movies have to be made like that. I'm seeing Wonder Woman come out. Black, the Black Widow movie is coming out. I mean, movies that show people who are typically disenfranchised or marginalized should become part of the mainstream. Not necessarily more than, but give them equal play, so that people can see that it's not just you know the strong men of the of the hero world that get get all the attention. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Where where are you going to go with your own writing? Like, where where do you see yourself in ten years? Well, I'd like to finish the series, the, the Task Force Guy series. Will have its fifth book you know, once I get the fourth one out. Um, and there's a an anthology of short fiction that sort of ties into it that I've been working on. It's actually tied to the second book, but it was something I couldn't include in the actual book. It was a side story, so I want to work on more of that. Um, I want to work on the second and third books of the trilogy. That's the Celtic mythology series and maybe more of that. I don't know yet. I'm thinking that's just going to be a trilogy. I worked on a couple of short stories that were LGBT fiction, non-fantasy, that were part of a collection of uh, holiday stories that came out a while ago. And... It's about two main characters, who two, two men who meet and, and eventually fall in love. And I would just like to maybe write either a collection of short fiction about them or maybe a novel. I'm not sure. But I do like the idea of focusing my attentions on writing more LGBT fiction, whether it be LGBT fantasy or horror or something else. But as a gay person myself, knowing that other kids, uh, I'm a teacher, so knowing that other kids can say, wow, there's books that actually like, are in the genre that I like, but also have characters that are like me, makes a big deal for me to continue to do that. I thought that's kind of where I think my attention will be. I mean, that may change over the years, too, and write something else, but I think that's where at least looking ahead as far as I can right now, 
think that's where I'm looking. So do, you th- do you think publishers are open to that? Are they open to, is it, is it hard to sell, um, you know, LGBT books um, or get them published with, a, with mainstream publishers, do you think? Well, my books are, are self-published, so it's possible that they could be treated differently in a traditional publisher. But I also think that a lot of traditional publishers have imprints or aspects of their publishing companies that offer up LGBT stories, or they allow they obviously have a, they allow for a wide range of storytelling. Um, it depends on what it is. I mean, I, my stories never venture into erotica or anything like that, so it's not like I would be concerned there. So I don't know. I think if I were to produce something that I wanted to put into a traditional publisher, I would at least do my back my homework to know whether this publisher would be interested in that to begin with before I would put it out there. But I would hope that the company would be open to it. Um, so I don't know. It's I have other friends who work with more traditional publishing routes, and from my understanding, they haven't had any issues. But they've all, some of them have also gone through traditionally LGBT publishers, so they, that's not an issue for them to have concerns. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I've seen that in a few cases, and well, even in the nonfiction, for sure, you have to be very careful. Um, wow, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting thought. Um, so now it, you, you mentioned that you have um, a real history you really liked like hardy boys and and uh, nancy drew and mysteries and stuff do, do you ever think you're going to get into that or in, anything like that into the crime fiction part well i don't know i've never done that um i've written horror before i have written fantasy i've written traditional fiction but no specific genre in mind i suppose uh, but i haven't ventured into mystery I don't know. I I personally have not read a lot of that, so it's not something I'm familiar with in in style to write. So I don't have anyone to look toward, for example, to say, oh, I read this particular. I do like certain mysteries. I mean, Agatha Christie and, and other things that have been more mainstream for me over the years growing up. I've seen movies and whatnot, but it's it's not something that I don't know why. It's just maybe because I've, I've always been so drawn to the fantasy. I've never been as drawn to the mystery part. That isn't to say that I couldn't venture that way. Um, I don't see myself writing a whodunit. I mean, I don't think that's the kind of story that I would... I, I don't know if I have the brain capacity to, to, to do that kind of thing. I just, I've never I've never thought about doing that. But I don't know. I think I, I could. I've, been, I've done writing contests and, and such in the past where you know some of the things... Or I've written, contributed to anthologies where they said... For the horror ones, I didn't write horror before that, so I said, "Sure, I'll try it and see how it goes." So I could, I guess, it just depends on if I have the right motivation, and, and I guess the uh, the story idea comes to me. Horror. Well, so in in your horror stories, do you get really really um, graphic, or is it more kind of classic horror like Frankenstein? The, the horror stories I've written are largely influenced by H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. So that sort of mind-bending, um, I, guess, I guess graphic. I mean, there are some images in the stories that are, if you were to see them on screen, would probably be cringeworthy, but in the sense of scary. But I don't, I'm not much into the, I've never been a vampire fan. Um, 
or any of the fiction and, and TV shows that have been around that. I've just never, that's just never been my thing. So the traditional horror of those things, vampires, um, zombies, Frankenstein, I mean, they're interesting enough, but it's not something that's ever so, something I have watched or read. So, but other horror that's sort of psychological or, um, like I said, the Lovecraftian sort of old gods sort of horror stories. Those are things that tie into my fantasy life. So that would be more. But I I just haven't flexed those muscles, I suppose, in the traditional horror sense. But it, it's something I could do. I just don't know if I would want to go the traditional, you know, monster route. <laughs> so now you're an English teacher. Yes. Um how how do you feel about literature over the years? Do you think that we're we're better at at our um, English lit? Are we better nowadays? Are better writers, better communicators, or are we worse? Has literature gone down or up? Do you think? Well, I don't read every genre, so it's hard to say whether it's gone up or not. But from my experience and with my students. And seeing what they read, and, and they write, they read the gamut of things that are very, you know, young adult and and fun. They also read stuff that's much more complex and things that you wouldn't maybe expect high school students to read. But I think that as a whole, because the industry has broadened to allowing more people to publish through that self-publishing route as well, you're getting different voices, perhaps people that might not necessarily feel comfortable going to that traditional publisher. So I think. If you're getting people who are writing good stories, who are having them edited well and put out there and putting out good work, I think, yes, you're getting good material. But at the same time, there is always the flip side that there are some things that may have come out that personally would not be of my taste and I don't have the highest regard for because it's A, it's not the genre I read, but B, just from reading it, it's not something that I feel is particularly well done. But that's just my opinion. I'm not an expert in in all things literary. Hmm. Yeah, I I think that there's some terrible things coming out, but um, you know, but that's just me. Uh, and they can send me the hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just there's so much. There, there's no um, how do you say? There's no regulation. And, and no nobody really kind of um, reviewing things. It just gets put out, and and a lot of things are misspelled and not done very well is, is, is kind of my, my big problem now. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, I find that interesting. So um, as an English teacher, what do you think that um, your students, um, do, you, do you think they're really good at English or do you think the Internet's kind of, uh, and texting and all that stuff has kind of taken um, some of the quality of, of communicating away? Well, for a while now, for most of my career at this particular school I've been teaching, I teach advanced placement and um, in the International Baccalaureate Program, which are high-level, college-level programs. So for the most part, the students read and write at a higher level generally anyway, because that's what they've been trained to do. So, But I do think that, and I have seen a decline in self-editing and language use and things like that when it, because of social media and texting and I did notice that when people started texting much more easily and more often text language abbreviations and such started showing up in writing 
mostly, you know, first draft writing. And it's because that's what they're conditioned to do, you know. And so I did notice a huge change for that. Now, there are some people who are fantastic writers. They just don't, they either don't let that affect them or they just know how to compartmentalize what they're doing. And they can do the text speak on the one hand, but they can write really well on the other. And some just don't text, so that makes it easier for them. But I've noticed a change. Um, I've been teaching in this particular school. This will be my 19th year at this school. So say for about 17 years, I've been teaching the advanced kids. I have noticed a small decline in their skill. I wouldn't say it's, it's tremendous enough to worry, but I think that I've asked kids to revise their work on more than one occasion because of a lack of quality due to distraction. They don't finish their work. They don't do the best they could because they're playing video games or they are, I don't know, otherwise just distracted by other things with their phones, you know, whether it's a friends or whatever. I remember in, in school, people wanted to get a hold of me. They just pick up the phone. But nowadays, there's so many ways to be distracted. It does, it has affected people's reading abilities and their ability to put words to paper. Hmm. So what's your advice for, for new writers? For new writers, I would say just write whatever you want. Just get the words out of your brain on the page and don't worry about what they look like. It's just vomited out because if the ideas are stuck in your head, they're not going to go anywhere. Once you've gotten that story idea on paper and the words are in front of you, then you can go back and manipulate and play with language. And aside with that, a little caveat would be don't edit as you write either. Just let it all out, mistakes and all. Just let the ideas flow. And that's hard because, I mean, I'm one of those people who early on wanted to edit. I would write three sentences and edit two. So it took forever. But I had to learn. Just let the ideas flow. Get them out. They could be, And your first draft is always garbage, always. It's always going to be crap because it just doesn't have the polish I don't know any good any writer of, of renown who can say, oh, everything I write, or the first thing I write of anything is, is gold. No, it's not. And um, looking back at my own works, I can even say that my first drafts of things were terrible. There was some good ideas, but it took a while. Polish, editing, proofreading, and so on. So, yeah, just write, 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 and don't edit as you write. Hmm. Do you want to do comic books? Well, I mean... In my fantasy world of my brain, I would love the opportunity to write Wonder Woman's comic book. I mean, that would be my, you know, my dream. I have written fan fictions for that, you know, in my brain. But I don't know. Comic book writing is a very different animal. And it requires, I think it requires you as a writer to have a different visualization of what you're imagining on the page. So, and I'm, I'm, I happen to be, I, I am friends with a number of um, comic book writers and artists and just having talked to them over the years, it's it's a very different thing to write a novel than it is to write the wording for a particular comic book. So, I, yeah, I'd love to have the opportunity. I just, I don't know. It's like writing a, a film script. I mean, that's something else I've also dabbled in. It's It's very difficult. It's a different animal entirely. But if given the opportunity and, and the right, I guess... Um, Direction, yeah, I would be interested in writing a comic book. Huh. So, what's your favorite thing to do? <laughs> in general, yeah. Um, my favorite thing to do. Interesting. I don't know. Right now, lately, the past few months, 
I've been spending a lot of time with my dog, who, you know, he's uh, being home now for the summer. But And that's one of my favorite things to do. But I love to, to write and read. Um, those are my big things that are my favorites. Um, I, lo- I also, with the dog, like to be outdoors. But that's it. I mean, I, I'll do other things. I will watch TV and, you know, everyone binge watches, whatnot. That's not one of my favorite things to do. I just think it's more of a, a mind-numbing thing to do. Um, but reading, writing, and playing with the puppy are <laughs> are my favorite things to do right now. Oh, dogs are great. Uh, so, what would who would you want to meet if you if you could meet someone right now? Who would it be? Oh boy, um, I'm not particularly starstruck by many people, which is the, surprising to people because I go to comic book conventions when I sell books or just to go and. They'll say, oh, these, these actors are there and these people. It's like, yeah, that's nice and I like their show, but it's, I'm not going to wait in line two hours to meet them. The only people that I, w- I would get Gaga over were um, Linda Carter, who I did have the chance to meet, and um, Gaga Dote, from, and perhaps the, stat, the cast from the movies. But that's it. I mean, I can't think of anybody who I would particularly, unless someone said, I'm taking you to meet such and so right now, just you, I mean, that might be different. But I don't have any particular people like that. I just don't get that starstruck. Hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, Lyle Wagner just died, too, didn't he, not too long ago? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people attached to the to the Wonder Woman um, franchises, sure, I would love to have met some of the actors in the TV show and, and the ones in the movies. I mean, I've enjoyed meeting the artists and the writers that have been in the books themselves. That's fun for me, too, and one of the artists actually included me t- on two different occasions as a as a not a character but as a person in the background in, in the comics so th- that was fun but there are no other celebrities per se that i can think mm. of right and and um you find traveling really helps um influence your books as well it has um i think traveling in general is is good because it just gives me different landscapes um, mental and physical to focus on and the Celtic series that I'm working on having spent a number of times been to Ireland a number of times and seeing the landscape I can picture places I've been and and be able to include that and the the feeling I get about being there sort of filters its way into my work so yeah travel is definitely um, very helpful and I just like seeing other cultures other places and Things I've always read about in history books suddenly become real when you're standing in a thousand-year-old castle or seeing a statue of something that you've only ever seen as a one-by-one picture in textbook. So it's definitely something that I would love to do or to do more of. Yeah, for sure. Now, So do you have a website that people can come see you and find out more about? Well, I have my author website, which is just davidbergerbooks.com. Um, it's there's nothing new new yet because I'm still working on the books, but the latest information is there, and a few my my short fiction that I've written some of that's there, um, some interviews I've done in the past either text or audio or there's links for that. Um, there's also on available on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, um, pretty prolific on Twitter these days with what's been going on in the world. <laughs> <laughs> And Instagram as well. <laughs> Lots of tweeting to the president. Uh, so you, um, I have to say, so, oh, geez, I lost my thought there, but I was I was going to ask you something interesting, but I forgot. <laughs> it happens at this age, you know. It's just getting 
getting old, falling apart. Um, well, that's it's been it's been very interesting talking to you. You're um, quite together. Um, I really enjoy listening to uh, to other writers, so I think this is great. Um, so, what book would you recommend um, someone to read of yours? The very first book um, they're going to pick up. Which one do you want them to get? Well, I would definitely want them to pick up Task Force Gaia, Finding Balance. It sets the stage, obviously, for the rest of the series and gives a lot of groundwork to what's happening. And it gives a, you know, a, a glimpse of what's to come because those things will be being, those things will be revisited in the, the latter books of the series as well. So yeah, I definitely think that book for sure. You know, when you write each one of these uh, books and you go through it, it sounds like you're really invested in it. Like it's really, um, it takes a lot of who you are. It takes a lot of you. Um, so when you're finished a book and it gets out there, um, do you look back and realize how much it's changed you or d does it change you a lot? When the first book came out after, like I said, 25 years of, you know, the first story to the finishing, that was a huge milestone for me. There were many, many, many happy tears shed um, holding the first copy of the book in my hand. And and since that point, just other books coming out, yes, it's it's a milestone. I mean, I never, ever thought these books would ever come out. I, when I wrote them over the years, I was just writing it for me, just to have something to do. And then once they started moving along and now having finished, written the fourth one of the series, it's it makes me feel good that I, I can leave whatever legacy it is. But um, eventually that fifth book will get written and that series will be out there and then hopefully the trilogy will get finished and whatever other I, books I decide to do. I feel like I'm at least living, leaving something of me that people can go, oh, that's, you know, that's interesting. That's you know, an interesting way to look at the world or... You know, to see to see how I envision the genre. Well, it's just, of and you also mentioned that how a lot of the characters they feel like your children. They're like your, um, they're like a part of you even in your in your day to day life. So uh, when you put them through uh, whatever events they're going to go through in a book, and you come out of it, um, isn't there a large emotional attachment? And isn't it, isn't it almost like living through that real? event like the book you you've actually lived through it even though you wrote it uh, doesn't that change your character somewhat it does um, there have been a couple of specific plot points in the series where have been very emotionally draining for me to write and difficult to write because they they tap into certain feelings that you know I, I want my reader to understand but also if I can't feel the emotion then they won't so it definitely changes perceptions. I felt like I have grown as a person from being a writer. And whatever I've written over the years, good or bad, has helped shape me in the way I think, the way I choose to live my life. Um, being more confident in certain areas is all because of that part of me. And I don't have other vices. I don't, I don't do other things much besides reading and writing in that sense. I don't have other, other things. I don't play sports and things like that. So it's definitely been a life-changing experience for me as a person. And being 53 now and looking back over my life and saying, wow, a lot of the things that have helped shape me as a writer have also helped shape me as a person. Mm. Yeah, I've, I, I, I've noticed it myself. So that's why I bring it up because with 
uh, it sounds like you're really attached to what to what you're writing, the characters and the and and being involved with them and how it affects your life. So I, I would imagine it would be like living through it, and when you come out of it, you'd be a different person. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. that's kind of what interesting concept. And um, well, I appreciate you taking the time. This has been uh, fascinating and. Um, uh, we will have your books up on our website as well and uh, your website so people can find you with one click. Um, uh, we have had the great fantasy author, mythic fantasy author, David Berger. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.